Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah. 
Yonatan Razel, Hatov, a composition of uh, the late Rebben Sion Schenker, opens things up on this uh, first post-Chagim edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Wanger, and thank you so much for tuning in. We're here with you each and every Monday. Immediately following JM and the AM, we are live, 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time, around the world, wherever you are, you can listen at whatever time it is that you're listening, that's the time that we're on. And on demand, via NachumSiegel.com, the website, and via the NachumSiegel Network app, which is something that you should have in your device, whether it's an iPhone or an Android or whatever it is. You need to have that app in your device. You need it. I don't think it's even voluntary. I think, I think it's uh, mandatory. We uh, have breaking news from Israel. Israel attacked and destroyed a Syrian anti-aircraft missile battery. And that's a bit of an escalation in the situation up north, which is very, very touchy and sensitive. We know that Iran and Russia have been active in Syria and that is a that is a danger for Israel having Iran at the border and Iran is also using its presence there to bolster the Hezbollah in Lebanon and in Syria who are also yet another terrible enemy of Israel who are equipped with thousands and thousands, some say tens of thousands of rockets that could hit Israel. How this is ever going to end, I do not know, but Iran is getting stronger and stronger, and that leads us to what we will be discussing later. Um, President Obama's changing course on the U.S. policy and saying that he will not recertify the Iran deal. We'll try and look at the background of that. Also, President Obama and another great, I mean, I have to say, I can't say anything other than pro-Israel move, said the United, States withdraw, the United States will withdraw from UNESCO unless they clean up their act vis-a-vis Israel. We'll talk about that. We have some clips from uh, Nikki Haley, UN ambassador, and so forth. Uh, UNESCO, some news from UNESCO as well. Interesting how this whole thing is working out. And um, we hope to share with you some interesting good news, which is also breaking from Israel. Uh, new archaeological discovery that was announced today at the base of the Western Wall. The base of the Western Wall doesn't mean where you're standing when you're in front of the Western Wall Plaza. No, it means the base of the Western Wall, all the way down. It's, it's fascinating what they found. And we will post a video about that from the Israel Archaeological Authority. It's in Hebrew. I hope they'll ultimately translate it as well or put in subtitles. Plus pictures that they released today, which are just awesome. It, it, wait till you hear what they discovered there. Fascinating stuff. So stay tuned with us. We're going to have lots of uh, information for you and lots of great music. Here's uh, Yoni Genut with Ismachli B. My name is Mayor Weingarten, and you, and you, and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Ismachli B, vekir B, v'yagel dami v'achal avi, 
Yismach Libi Yoni Genut. And the uh, choir of the uh, Yeshivat Merkaz Litzi'uim, in that beautiful song, words written by Rav Avram Yitzhak Kohen Cook, a uh, song for Motzei Shabbat. We sing uh, a song to be sung after Havdalah on Saturday night. Thanks so much for joining us, making us a part of your week. My name is Mayor Weingarten. I think I told you that you're tuned to the Zoshan Danachem Siegel Network. Well, this week, President Trump, I've been alerted to the fact that I said President Obama more than once today. It's President Trump is the current president, just a little bit of current events, um, reversed the U.S or I should say the Obama administration's policies regarding the Iran nuclear deal. Now, it's hard to say how far this will end up going. It could mean nothing other than a declarative statement which makes us feel good and at the end nothing's changed. It could be. But at the same time, it could be that this will lead to a some sort of revision of the deal, although I can't imagine that Iranians would agree to it. That's what the president is calling for, a revision of the deal. And if it's not revised, then a cancellation of the deal. Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, in his uh, inimitable way, said, fix it or nix it. <laughs> and that's what the president was calling for. So, Let's just remember what happened with this deal. Most people think that um, former President Obama went into this uh, only in the second term and so forth. So I call your attention to the 23rd of July, 2007. 2007. This is when the Democratic primaries for president were taking place. Then Senator Obama was a dark horse, was, a, was somebody who kn- wasn't thought that he could possibly win. There were eight or, or six or seven or eight other Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, who were running against him, who had a lot of name recognition, who had a lot of uh, um, experience and uh, um, Senator Obama had been in the Senate, what, all of two years? He had zero experience in anything other than being a community organizer in Chicago, which we went on to realize was not a good thing for a president not to have much experience. <laughs> then we elected another one. Um, he was asked in the debate, this was one of those, you know, they give the audience a chance to ask questions, not just the journalists that are on the stage. And he was asked about negotiating with the enemies. Here is his answer. Here is the question and his answer from that debate. Remember, July 2007, still running in the primaries. In 1982, Anwar Sadat traveled to Israel, a trip that resulted in a peace agreement that has lasted ever since. In the spirit of that type of bold leadership, would you be willing to meet separately, without precondition, during the first year of your administration in Washington or anywhere else, with the leaders of Iran, Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, and North Korea, 
in order to bridge the gap that divides our countries. You should also point out that Stephen is in the crowd tonight, Senator Obama. I would. Uh, and the reason is this, that the notion that somehow not talking to countries uh, is punishment to them, uh, which has been the guiding uh, diplomatic principle of this administration, is ridiculous. So I think his answer is ridiculous. I would. I would go and negotiate without preconditions with the most evil despots on the face of the earth and and his brilliant guidance and foreign policy has brought us to where we are now. Not to say that those before him weren't partially responsible too. North Korea that has already advanced nuclear weapons and is working on ICBMs is not just President Obama's folly of kicking it down the road, President Bush before him, and even worse, President Clinton, who supposedly made this great deal. We played the clip a few weeks ago of President Clinton announcing how this deal with North Korea is going to stop their nuclear development. How silly, how naive, how stupid are we to think that we should go talk and that there's going to be some result some good coming out of talks with 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 dictators with psychopaths with evil talking with evil i don't think it's it's something that we could do you can only gain from diplomacy if you really believe that the other side is interested in coming to an accommodation if you know, and, and we know how evil Iran is, do you think that other than taking advantage of you, they're going to actually negotiate in good faith? North Korea, and he did the same with Cuba. Oh, well, let's open our embassy, let's have diplomatic ties, let's open uh, commerce. He went to Cuba, he sat in the ball game with, with uh, Raul Castro, he was dancing in the ballrooms, Latin dances, and, and what? Are, are the people of Cuba any better off? No, they still live in a, a, a dictatorship. They still live under the iron fist of Castro. And the people in North Korea and the people in Iran and the people in Syria, think of that. That was one of the countries mentioned in the question, Syria and Venezuela. It's it's just mind-boggling. What happened since then is that in his second term, he wouldn't do it in his first term because he was afraid that he wouldn't get reelected. In his second term, he started publicly negotiating with Iran behind Israel's back without telling Netanyahu it had been going on for quite a while before the Israelis found out about it because he knew that the Israelis would be against it because he knew it's a bad deal. I just don't get him. And by the way, after he answered the question in that debate back in, in, in 2007, while he was running in the Democratic primary, he answered he would, without precondition during the first year of his administration, meet separately with these people, with these dictators, these despots, with these murderers. 
there is a recording that took place after the uh, Obama administration was done, after their eight years, with the aides, the assistants, and those who worked with him on the campaign. And they were asked, was that a gaffe? Was that something that they were not expecting for President Obama, Senator Obama, to say? Was it a slip of the tongue? And the advisor said, it was, he wasn't planning on saying it, but when they met after the debate, they said to him, he needs to what they call walk it back. He needs to find a way to withdraw from what he said because it's not a not a popular notion that he was that he was putting forth that we need to negotiate with our precondition with, with the world's worst, most evil regimes. And he said to his advisors, he's not walking it back. No, I believe what I said to be true. That's what he said. So the Iran deal, the idea of talking to the enemies, not quote-unquote punishing them. We don't not talk to them because we're punishing them. We don't talk to them because there's nothing to talk about. That idea goes back to the core of President Obama, it's still a mystery to me what motivated Obama. John Kerry, who did most of the negotiation, was was a useful idiot. I, I think we can all agree that John Kerry was not the smartest, was not the brightest bulb in the batch. But President Obama was not a stupid man. And Ben Rhodes, his communications uh, director, admitted... I think he didn't intend to admit, but he did admit in a New York Times interview years later that they lied. The Obama administration, he worked to lie to the world, to present a false narrative, what they call, that put out a message which was, you either take this deal that we've negotiated as is, or we're going to have to go to war with Iran, which was not true. It was a lie. They knew it was a lie. But as he says, they created an echo chamber throughout the media and throughout the left where everybody was an echo chamber. just They all heard each other and nothing else. And so they kept disseminating that, and the American people went for it as, as, uh, as we know. By the way, Obamacare was the same thing. One of the architects of Obamacare admitted that um, that they lied to the American people on purpose because they knew that if they told them the truth, they wouldn't go for it. It's a pattern. It is a pattern, which he got away with because uh, the media was complicit in all this. We look back now at um, Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech for Congress, before Congress, before the deal was coming up for a vote, the speech that several Democratic uh, congressmen boycotted. We look back at that speech and we say, yes, he was right. I mean, we knew he was right, but today I think everybody realizes that Prime Minister Netanyahu was right. So President Trump is not wrong 
in what he's doing. Not at all. But of course, the Democrats won't tell you so. The media won't tell you so. Oh, we can't go back on that deal. It's going to lead to war and all that other stuff. We'll continue discussing this after we take a break with Yishai Rebo. Off of the album Sama number four. These are Nigunei Chabad. It's a series. This is the fourth in the series. I don't know if the actual album came out, but several of the songs have been released. Yishai Rebo with Yemin Hashem Ro May Ma. My name is Mayor Wangar, and you are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Yishayri Bo Yimin Hashem Romeima Chabad Nigan off of the album Sama, volume number four. The great Yishayri Bo, wow, is he uh, popular in Israel? He's got such great hits. We're talking about um, the Iran deal and the uh, Trump administration's not certifying it. There's so many things wrong with this deal. It wasn't a treaty. By the Constitution, by by the Constitution of the United States, if you sign a treaty with a foreign power, it has to get a, a certain majority in uh, Congress. The president realizing, President Obama realizing he'd never get such a majority, basically said, to, to heck with it. So we'll put the Constitution aside. It's going to be an executive order, executive agreement, meaning he as a president can make this agreement. But it only is as, lasts as long as he is president. But he also knew that once he's not president, and it, so much would already have been done, that it would be very hard to walk away, which is the problem that we find ourselves in now. It's been booby-trapped by the previous president of the United States. Again, hard to imagine what he was thinking. What does... What do the anti-Trump forces, those who, who say, well, we can't, we can't retreat from our treaty. We gave our word. And how silly is that? Give your word. Your word is not not worth anything. Their word is not worth anything. Nothing's worth anything in the. Well, listener Moshe brought up something which I was thinking about. Right when Chamberlain was negotiating with Hitler, oh, he came back. We have a treaty. We signed it here. My signature is fame. Famous video that you can watch on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Chamberlain, peace in our times. That's all you have to look up, and you'll find it. Comes off the plane. He just met with Herr Hitler, and uh, we signed an agreement. And has my, um, he holds it up in his hand, he waves the piece of paper, and he says, peace in our times, and we all know where that, where that went. Because you can't negotiate with evil. Iran is pure evil. This is, this is a country that slaughters, slaughters anyone who dares to say anything against their administration, against their leadership. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, since they took over. The people there live in constant fear. It is one of the most brutal dictatorships in the world. In addition, they are worldwide sponsors of terrorism. They use their money to sponsor the Hamas and to sponsor the Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations throughout the world. So what would we in the West want to do to stop this? We'd want to choke off their money. Ha! The United States did one of the most the, 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 the most obvious mistake in anybody. Listen, when you hire a contractor to do work in your house, anybody, the guy comes and says, well, this is what it's going to cost, but you've got to pay me everything up front. You say, I'm not paying you everything up front. I'll give you a deposit, I'll give you half maybe, but until you're finished and I'm satisfied that you've kept your end of this deal, that you've done whatever work you have to do, I will hold back on part of the payment. That's the only leverage that I would have. 
Oh, not the geniuses who negotiated this deal. John Kerry and the Obama administration. No. The first part of the deal is that Iran gets billions of dollars. Over one billion with a B dollars in cash. In cash! Delivered on a plane. They took a huge army transport and loaded stacks and stacks of money over $1 billion. Now, cash is, you can't trace it. So you're giving the head of terrorism, the head of the snake of the worldwide terrorist organizations, organizations around the world, you're giving them cash over a billion dollars. Where do you think it's going to end up? If not funding terrorism, you can't trace it. You can't do anything. Who was thinking? Maybe nobody. They lifted all the sanctions at the beginning. Then John Kerry, Secretary of State genius, went throughout Europe and encouraged countries to make deals with Iran economic deals in order to tie them in so now when America says they're not living up to the spirit of the deal they are sponsoring terrorism around the world they are evil Europe says well we don't know you know why because they all have economic ties that they don't want to give up they're profiting and unfortunately greed in the short term takes over logic, reason. It's just uh, it's it's just beyond comprehension. So President Trump's move is good. Is it enough? Will it make a difference? I don't know. I really don't know what we can do. He says we should negotiate to change the deal. Good luck. Even if Iran performer agrees to it, they're not going to stick to it. They're going to do what they want to do. And America has no patience and no nerves to go through this and to really be on top of it and make sure that they're not cheating. Some say there is no political solution. There's only a military solution, which is what Israel wanted to do and President Obama and some in Israel said to Israel, don't you dare. And here's where we are. Wow. Here is where we are. What will the future generations think of what we did? Okay, I'll share with you, uh, Nikki Haley appeared on uh, Meet the Press. Chuck Todd asked her, I guess what would be a typical question, as as I mentioned, of the anti-Trump forces. If nothing gets done, and the president does cancel the deal, what message does that send to a Kim Jong-un? Who, what, what, what incentive does he have to strike a deal with the world community if the United States walks away from Iran? Do you hear that stupidity? What incentive does he have to strike a deal? First of all, we struck a deal with him already. President Clinton struck a deal with him. He didn't keep it. What incentive does Kim Jong-un have to... Oh, because we're... There's no logic here. What? Who's? Oh, my gosh. Don't we understand that they don't live 
Kim Jong-un and the Ayatollahs don't live in the same logical world that we live in? That we have to think like they think, not like we think? Well, here's Nikki Haley's pretty good answer, I must say. It's interesting you say that because the whole reason we're looking at this Iran agreement is because of North Korea. When you look at the fact that 25 years of botched agreements and negotiations and accountability not kept by North Korea, that's the whole situation that got us to where we're having to watch day by day to see if they do an ICBM test going forward. What we're saying now with Iran is don't let it become the next North Korea. So what this says to North Korea is don't expect us to engage in a bad deal. And also, if at any point we do come up with something, expect us to follow through with it. Expect us to hold you accountable. You're not just going to have a free-for-all. So I think we're sending a very strong message to the international community. We're not going to just give you a lot of money and say, go have a good time. We're going to basically say, look, this is a deal. You either comply with it or you don't. I think the point that everybody, uh, I don't know if they're missing it, just they don't want to say it. The Muslim world... The, the world of dictatorships understand only power, force. They don't understand negotiations. They see negotiations as weakness, and they will take advantage of it. Donald Trump thinks he is the art of the deal. Trust me, the Iranians, the Persians, they're the art of the deal for, for centuries they negotiated the U.S. under the table 15 times over. And we are now suffering for it. Um, Charles Krauthammer, who's Fox News uh, analyst and author and syndicated columnist, um, a fascinating person. Uh, unfortunately, he has been uh, hospitalized now for quite a while and hasn't appeared on, on television. I hope he has a refuah shalema. Back in April, in a minute and a half, he summarized where the problems with the concept of the Iran deal are. And uh, we're going to share that with you now. And you see, he just sums it up so brilliantly and beautifully and in a pithy way. You need three things to develop a usable nuclear weapon. Number one, you need the fissile material. Number two, you have to weaponize it. You have to make it explode. And that's what was revealed today. They've been working on this assiduously. Third, you need the ballistic missiles that will deliver them. The problem is that the Obama administration looked only at the fissile element. So technically speaking, you can say that, yes, it's a frozen program. They are not increasing the amount of enriched uranium. But what the Iranians are doing, and this is so obvious a child can see it, is while the program on the fissile material is frozen, they're working rapidly on the weaponization, which is the other part you need, and of course on the ballistic missiles, which we can see. The weaponization is in a, a military facility called Parchin. It was supposed to have been investigated under the Obama administration and before the signing of the agreement to make sure it hadn't been used in the past for weaponization. Of course, Obama and Kerry caved on that, never did. We are not allowed to inspect. We allowed the Iranians to inspect themselves on Parchin, which was a joke. So, yes, they are developing a nuclear weapon. It's a violation of the spirit of the agreement because the way they look at it in half a decade, 
they'll be able to resume the fissile material, the enriching uranium. They will have weaponized and they will have the missiles. You would maybe think when you're doing the deal that a weapons program would be in a military facility, but uh, that was one of the problems. And we the can't get deal. to it. We cannot inspect it. There you have it. And he didn't even mention the idea that we gave all the money up front and all the damage that that does. But this was specifically about the nuclear part of it. Uh, Charles Krauthammer on Fox News back in April. And I often wonder, you know, people say Obama wanted this deal because it was going to be it's going to be his legacy. He wanted uh, to to leave office with a big treaty that people will look back on and say how visionary he was, how great he was. But the truth is, I, I mean, unless we are all totally off, this whole thing is going to, excuse the pun, blow up in the face of the West, of the world. And the way I see it, President Obama will be looked at in the same derision that today we look at Neville Chamberlain. Uh, a laughing stock. It's just so much there that doesn't make any sense. So, for those who have problems with President Trump, as we all do, let's look at what he's doing, not necessarily all things that he's tweeting or saying, but look at what he's doing. The speech he gave on this subject was brilliant, was based, uh, I, I, it seems to me, listening to it, based on so many of Israel's talking points, and um, and that's important that we have that backing of the United States, the major power in the world. Hopefully, he'll continue to back us and not back away. We'll take another musical break. We'll keep come back and we will share with you unbelievable, brand new. I mean, literally brand new today. Announced today the discovery an archaeological discovery at the Kotel Hama'aravi, at the western wall of the retaining walls of the Temple Mount. We'll share with you some of the information. We're going to post videos and pictures on our Facebook page as we post also the video clips of the music that we play and other things that we talk about during the show. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Uh, tell your friends... Tell your neighbors. Tell anybody who you think might be interested. Uh, Galit Zahal released a new album, which is really an old album. The album is called Hatishma Koli. It was released in 1967 by uh, a group called Hachalonot Hagvohim. The High Windows. Or I think in Yiddish, it's a translation of Yiddish to Hecha Fenster, I guess. Uh, it was a classic album. And Galitzal decided 50 years later to ask contemporary Israeli artists to cover each one of the songs, and they released the album. So this one is Kol HaShavu Alach, also very popular in Israel back in the day. This one now is being done by Eliad. The name of the album is Hatishma Koli. That song is on it as well. Um, we'll taste it for you right here. Hopefully you enjoy it. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Beyond Malef, in Beyond Dalet, 
Well, for the remake of the album Hatishma Koli, remade by Galit Sahal in honor of the 50th anniversary of the original groundbreaking album in Israel, that was Kol HaShavu Alach, and that remake was by El Eliad. Well, today, a big announcement in the archaeological world, in Israel specifically. So, imagine, those of you who can, that you're standing in front of the plaza that has been cleared away in front of the western wall where people pray. On your left, and it's accessible through the men's section only, but on your left, there's an opening into an underground tunnel, you could say, and there are prayers that take place there as well. In the scorching hot sun, many people find shade um, in that uh, area, in that sort of tunnel. It's covered by arched, vaulted ceilings. And it goes in for some length, and then there's gates, and you can't continue. That arch is called Wilson's Arch, It's named after the archaeologist that discovered it, the British archaeologist that discovered it. And really, what was on top of the arch in the times of the second Beit HaMikdash, the second temple, it held up the beginning of a, a bridge, which other arches continued along from Har Habayit westward into the 
what they call the upper city. And you could walk across. You see, one of the reasons was that in order to get to the upper city, if you were not using a bridge, you'd have to go all the way down into the valley where the Koto, the Koto's in a valley, and then walk all the way up. And this way you can just walk on a flat area. And there was also, according to some water conveyors, aqueducts that would lead the water into Harabayat. So they've been digging the Israeli archaeology um, the National Israeli Archaeology Association, whatever, I can't remember the name right now, um, has been digging under that arch in order to try and see how far down they go and what is down below. A few weeks ago they discovered, and today they announced the discovery of eight rows of stones that are part of the Kotel Hamaravi, that retaining wall of Har Habayit. We've explained it in the past, and we're a little short on time to go through the whole thing now, but the Kotel that we know was a wall that held up the artificial landfill that created Har Habayit. So... They discovered down, all the way down, this went to Kotel, went to the bedrock. It had to be solid to hold up that amount of pressure of landfill. So they found eight more rows of the Kotel, beautiful, untouched, pristine, preserved, because it it was underground for centuries. And then they found something that was really shocking. And if you look at the pictures, you'll see it. It looks like a small theater, like an amphitheater, you know, round with benches. Typical Roman amphitheater, but smaller. can hold about 200 people. And that was a shocking revelation. Here, at the footsteps, at the, at the foot, I'm sorry, at the foot of Har Habayit, there's a theater. Now, two things are interesting. One, this was built after, according to the analysis of the layers, after the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and the Romans were doing everything to wipe away Jewish uh, connection with the city. And we have historical evidence that tells us that they built theaters and other Roman structures in Yerushalayim and here. And we hadn't found any until today in here are the remnants of one. The other thing that's of interest, in addition to the discovery itself, is that it was not complete. It seems like they started building it, they reached a certain point, and then they stopped. And why did they stop? So archaeologists who basically, you know, they have theories, but they just make things up. It's educated guesswork is archaeology. Excuse any archaeologists who are out there who are... uh, (laughs) who might be upset with that. But I think that's, everybody would admit that. Um, So archaeologists um, believe, or or they theorize, that one of the reasons maybe that the building of this stopped, 
the Romans stopped building it was the beginning of the Bar Kokhba revolt. It was theoretically around that time in history, a few decades after the Churban, that the Bar Kokhba revolt began. And it would make sense that the Romans would then be busy taking care of the revolt and they would just put aside the uh, continuation of the building of this theater. So, as I said, we will put up links to a video, which at this point is only in Hebrew. When it comes out in English, we'll put that up as well, where you can see what they found and hear the archaeologists. And we'll put up photos, which are just astounding. Astounding, astounding. About 1,800 years old. Beautifully preserved right there underground. Okay. That's it for today. We're going to end off with Odelia Berlin and uh, Kumi Tzi'i, Melody by Naomi Shemer, words by Chaim Nachman Bialik. Is that not a winning combination? And Odelia Berlin is singing it. It even adds to that amazing winning combination. Um, but before we close... We say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thank you to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, immediately after us, Yoni Pollock with his sports show after further review. And then an encore presentation of Headlines with David Lichtenstein, followed by... The Great Monday Music Marathon, so keep it tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network all day long. Until next Monday, immediately following Jamie and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not, oh no, they do not finish last, they're just running in a different race. Ali's Bayer, we have